Episode 4. This episode has descriptions of events that may be unsettling to some listeners, and discretion is advised. If there was a theme of last week's episode, it was, this is a little weird, right? I suspect at least one of you listening is a medical professional who, at some point in the last two episodes, has said to yourself, wait, what? But to me, a person who did her surgical residency at Seattle Grace Mercy West Grace Sloan Memorial, it was only weird-ish. You see, the internet is a weird place, and Twitch is no exception to the weirdness. From people who want to buy bathwater, to malicious donations, to actual attempted murder, there's a lot that goes on on online that would be weird in real life, but it's relatively normal. So before we get into some of the weirdness that was the John and Brooke relationship, let's just make sure we've all got our weirdness radar calibrated. I'm Katie Ruvalcaba, and this is Parasocial Anxiety. In my time on Twitch, it took a little bit of adjusting to what is and is not weird behavior. If you're completely not an internet person, and hi to my Aunt Vicky, then your bar for weirdness might be way, way too low. For example, it's not weird at all to send a link to a streamer and say, wow, you should check out these amazing headphones, you'll love them, and then have the streamer click the link only to realize it's a video of Rick Astley singing Never Gonna Give You Up. That's been going on for 10 plus years now, and it's still funny that's not weird at all. But then there's stuff like walls of texts. These are users who come into a Twitch chat and post an incredibly long message. And by incredibly long, I mean anything longer than like three sentences. If the person is a regular and just has something long to say, they'll usually say, sorry for the wall of text. But then there's some other users who are brand new to a channel and have no connection with the people in the stream. And they will post a full on paragraph about their childhood trauma. I think some of those people are trying to derail a stream, but others are genuinely searching for a connection, albeit in a really strange way. That behavior online falls into a category of weird, but kind of normal. Then there's stuff like TTS spam or bit spam. Text-to-speech is a feature that some streamers have enabled on their streams to allow viewers to have a voice audibly read a message attached to a donation or bits. Remember, bits are money that you can buy directly from Twitch that the streamer gets to keep when you use them in their chat. It's not uncommon for Twitch users to know what is a level of donation that will trigger text-to-speech in their favorite stream and to donate exactly that amount with a wall of text that's meant to annoy the streamer. But in the way that a little brother is annoying more than like dangerous or malicious. One of my good eggs was infamous for using TTS to compel me to make a food that he wanted to see by donating $5 exactly and having the chat message read taco burger, taco burger, taco burger over and over again for a solid minute. My kids used to think that it was hilarious and then they would run around the house screaming taco burger, taco burger afterwards. So that user got a lot of bang for his buck on those donations. My kids would really play them out. And then sometimes people will use this feature to trigger people's kitchen robots. It's not uncommon to have a 500-bit donation roll in that plays the message, Alexa, play Despacito. But sometimes that feature is used maliciously. If a streamer has their text speech threshold too low, people can spam them with bits that cause TTS to read out any number of horrible things. Twitch actually recently disabled the ability to donate bits anonymously because they were so frequently used as a way to harass streamers. 
female streamers particularly. Imagine playing a game or making a meal for somebody and then hearing some of the nastiest sexual advances you've ever heard blare through your speakers or your headphones. It's jarring and super gross. You might be thinking to yourself, they're giving you money. Who cares what they say to you? Let me say, I really hope you're not thinking that, but maybe you're still in the camp that views crowdsourced income as basically internet begging. But even if you are, think of it like this. If you found a person begging on the street, you might refuse to give them money, right? You might think that they should go get a real job. But do you think you would chuck a quarter at their face or throw it into their coffee? And then after you did it, would you turn around and say, what? I gave you money. What are you complaining about? As you watch this quarter-shaped welt appear on their cheek? Probably not. Gosh, I hope not. If you're sitting there thinking that this is totally normal behavior, I'm here to tell you that it's not. And also, you can go to masstimes.org to find the nearest church where your confession can be heard. Whew, boy. Bit spam of the friendly, annoying little brother type is weird normal. But spam of the violent, aggressive, sexual, or specifically to override somebody's disability adaptation falls into the spectrum of jerk face to possibly dangerous. Then there's this other type of disruptive behavior. I don't really understand it, but I've experienced it myself, and I've heard from other streamers that they have too. So it's definitely a type, but I'm just not sure what the point is. This is the new guy in chat who seems super friendly and helpful, but after about an hour of hanging out, he claims to be sending you something. In my case, it's usually a kitchen tool, but sometimes it's things like microphones or a gift that the streamer had casually mentioned. This person claims to have some sort of special access to those things and claims to have sent them to the streamer's P.O. box. So the streamer goes to check, but nothing's there. And then the chatter comes back for several streams to claim that he definitely sent it, and could you check back tomorrow? And again, no item in the P.O. box. And this kind of continues until the streamer either publicly calls BS or just stops responding. These people seem to either really like being told thank you in advance for an item that they never plan to send, or they just really like to make people drive to the post office. Again, I'm not really sure what they get out of it. It might just be the slowest world destruction plan in history. He's going to destroy the planet one carbon-fueled trip to the post office at a time. And if that's the case, this person is an idiot, but at least you have to admire that he's playing the long game. This behavior falls into the category of weird and also why. A variation of this is the guy who donates money and then charges it back. This is actually extremely damaging to smaller streamers. It happened to me once and it was awful. A guy donated $35 to me when I first started streaming, so every dollar I got went straight into the grocery budget. And when someone charges back a donation, they're basically saying that they never meant to send it to you or that their PayPal account was hacked. When this happens, PayPal removes the money that was donated plus a penalty fee while they investigate. So if you've already withdrawn the donation, your PayPal account goes negative and it's up to you to prove that the person who owns the account actually did donate the money. Now, most streamers have their chatbots automatically take a clip of the stream whenever a donation is over a certain amount so that they have evidence of uh, if it ever comes to it. But this behavior creates a lot of uncertainty when it comes to large donations. Think like if your paycheck was deposited into your account and your boss just decided two days later that he didn't like you anymore, so he called the bank and said that he didn't, you didn't really work there and that your paycheck was fraud. Now your bank account is negative and your confidence in your future paychecks is shaken, even if you're able to prove that your boss was just being a jerk. Ask any streamer that's had a chargeback and they will tell you that it really messes your head when it comes to future donations. You live in this state of anxiety until the window for chargeback passes. 
Then there's the invasive people. Sometimes it's just a person who comes on too strong. I had one viewer who was probably a very nice person, but had a lot of advice for me at all times, and once mailed something like 75 children's books to my house. She found my home address online, which isn't really all that hard to do, but most people will refrain from mailing things to a media person's home unless they've been given permission first, especially when that person has a posted P.O. box address. Having someone point out how very easy it is to find you if they wanted to is extremely alarming, even if the intention isn't malicious. It just kind of makes you feel very unsafe. There was this phase in my stream where a user would repeatedly follow my channel with a screen name that was a woman's name with some numbers after it, like um, page 436. She would always come and claim to be the mother of a lot of kids herself and would ask things like if I was pregnant. This user came back dozens of times under multiple different names, always asking basically the same thing. Can I see your kids? Are you pregnant? After we started banning this user on site, they started reaching out to people in private messages on Twitch called Whispers. They'd ask the stream regulars, do I look pregnant to them, etc. You know, it was very strange. This sort of behavior is the weird but also why type up to a point. That particular person eventually moved on over to my Instagram account, where they messaged a friend from college to ask if I was pregnant, and also to try to get information about where I lived. Thankfully, my friend had the wherewithal to only say nice things about me and didn't give out my address, but she also told me about it right away. My moderator team and I did some research into some of the screen names that were used, and a few of them were associated with Instagram accounts that had pictures like of notorious serial killers, and one Pinterest board that had photos of crime scenes, including murder victims' bodies. That kind of behavior moves from weird but why to weird and also I'm filing a report with the FBI. And before you ask, yes, it is real, and I did file a report with the FBI. But if you're in law enforcement, you know already that there's nothing that they can do. Because, you see, that behavior, though weird as heck, is not illegal. That's why this is not a true crime podcast, because scaring the heck out of someone online is not illegal unless you actually physically harm them. I need you to let that sink in. It is perfectly legal to harass a woman online. You can send her pictures of your penis through Instagram and no one can touch you. But if you do it on the street, you're going to jail. You can bit spam vile descriptions of what you do to her if you ever got your hands on her online. And even if that online space is her workplace, there is nothing that can be done to you. Try that at the office next week. Let me know how it goes. Then there's the granddaddy of the weird, dangerous online behavior. Swatting. Swatting is where someone contacts the police in the town where their victim lives and claims that the person is in the middle of committing a horrific, violent crime that would justify the police sending a SWAT team to address it. You might have heard about this happening to news personalities or politicians before. But if your name is not well known to police in advance, it can be deadly. In 2017, two guys, Casey Viner and Shane Gaskell, were playing Call of Duty, and they got into a fight over, a, I think, a $1.50 bet. Viner told Gaskell that he was going to have him swatted, and Gaskell gave him an old address in Wichita, Kansas, and basically said, come at me, bro, knowing that he was safe and sound in a completely different house. So Viner gets his buddy, this guy Tyler Barris, to call the cops in Wichita and claim that he has shot his father and is holding the rest of his family at gunpoint. 
Barris, for what it's worth, had nothing to do with the original argument and was just a guy that was known in the COD community as somebody who would be willing to do that sort of thing. I don't even think he got anything for it. Just Viner told him he wanted Gaskill swatted and gave him the address, and Barris said, yeah, sure, and did it. So the Wichita police sent a full team to 1077 McCormick Street, expecting to find Barris with his whole family at gunpoint, and instead they found a guy, Andrew Finch. Finch has no idea what's going on. He had just had the bad luck to live in Shane Gaskill's old house. He had seen the police lights outside his front door, and he went outside to see what was going on. The police team that had been sent to Finch's home were not a SWAT team. They didn't have any tactical training. All that they knew was that there was supposed to be a guy in the house with a gun who had admitted to killing his father. So out walks Finch, and the police tell him to put his hands up. As you can imagine, Finch was confused. He starts to put his hands up, and then he stops. And that's when Officer Justin Rapp fired a single shot into Finch's heart and lungs. He was pronounced dead 17 minutes later. Andrew Finch's family is inside the house. They were all taken out in handcuffs. Some of their property was seized as evidence, all before anyone realized that this guy was just on the receiving end of one of the stupidest, most dangerous pranks that is pulled in the online world. For the record, Andrew Finch was a father of two and had no connection with the other three morons at all. The guy who made the call, Barris, pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter. He was sentenced to 20 years in federal prison, but his charges were all kind of wrapped together with another incident that he was also wanted for, so it's kind of unclear what of those 20 years is directly because of his role in Andrew Finch's death. The guy who asked Barris to call in the hoax, Viner, he got 15 months and two years of supervised release. And the guy who gave Viner the incorrect address, Gaskell, got 18 months for wire fraud. I'm pretty sure it was because of the COD bet, but it seems really odd to me that he got more time than Viner. Swatting looms large in the minds of streamers as a potentially deadly threat. This is all a lot of background information to give you, but it really helps to put into context some of the weirdness that I was using as a point of comparison when I was sensing weirdness from John and Brooke. The window for chargebacks had passed on most of John's larger donations, and nothing bad had happened. Sure, Brooke had been really upset when we had allowed the rest of chat to upgrade the PC that John sent, but no threats were made or anything. Neither John nor Brooke ever called us names or said anything sexual to me. John was well aware I had a husband. He talked to Luis almost as often as he talked to me. John had texted me from his cell phone, and so had Brooke from a different number. Heck, Luis and I had even spoken to John over the phone. I had his address. I had mailed him thank you cards, and he had sent me back pictures of the stickers that I included, so I knew that he had received them. His address matched his accent. He had an Essex accent and an Essex address. So it was hard to place what was going on with John and Brooke. There weren't any really glaring red flags, just a lot of little yellow caution flags. I'm not a psychiatrist, so my opinion about what was going on with that is just my opinion. So please know that I'm speaking from my personal experience and not any kind of authority when I say that John and Brooke seem to be emotion vampires. That's not a real term. I made it up. But I think it fits, and you're welcome to use it. By that, I mean they fed off of other people's strong emotions. They donate insane amounts of money because they enjoyed seeing me get happy and kind of nervous. But they didn't seem to care much what sort of emotion they got as long as they got one. Brooke particularly gave graphic descriptions of bowel movements and periods, I suspect because she liked the idea of shocking me. She would describe John as having constant, uncontrolled diarrhea 
while under the direct care and supervision of doctors and nurses for months at a time. So I think the goal was to disgust me or to make me uncomfortable. Particularly, I think John liked to hear that he would be missed. I'm not sure that he liked making me sad, but he would often ask, how are you going to feel when I'm gone? I had shown him how to send voice messages on iMessage so that he could avoid typing because he said that the light from his phone hurt his eyes. And he would leave me these very long voice messages saying how terribly he felt and asking if I was going to save the message in case it was the last one he ever sent me. I think it's normal for a person who's dying to wonder how people will react to their death, but I'm not sure it's normal to ask every single time you speak to them. It got to the point where I was having a hard time even coming up with what to say to him anymore. How many times can you tell a person that they're valuable and that they'll be missed? He would also make promises about sending more money. He would bring up the time that he had sent $5,000 often and how, asked how it would make me feel if he did it again. It was very strange sort of conversation. On the one hand, I felt uncomfortable talking about the same topics over and over, and it felt a little almost dirty. I'm not sure how, because there was nothing sexual at all about the conversation, but it seemed like he was really relishing it. But it was odd because he did it to my husband as well, not just to me. He would also talk about suicide a lot. I think assisted suicide is legal in the UK, so he was regularly asking me what I thought about him being euthanized. I reminded him that I'm Catholic, so I believe that all suffering has meaning and it's valuable and that human lives are not ours to take under any circumstances. It didn't stop him from bringing it up with me regularly, though. In any event, John and Brooke both seemed to try to elicit strong responses from me and my husband pretty much every time we encountered them. So it surprised me how disinterested he was when I got swatted. In February of 2022, I was making Brazilian food on my stream when I noticed my phone was buzzing on the kitchen island. Normally, I don't answer my phone during stream unless I know it's from my kids' school, but they were all home that day. It was President's Day, so there was no school. But instead of the usual scam likely on the screen, it just said number withheld. For some reason, my gut told me to answer the call. So I muted my microphone for the stream and I answered the call. Hello? This is Noblesville Police Dispatch. Are you Katie? Yes. I need you to go to your front door. There is an officer waiting to speak to you. Please keep your hands in front of you. What? I walked away from my stream setup and headed toward the door. I was no longer visible to chat. They just saw an empty kitchen. At that moment, my son had seen the commotion on my street and ran to the front door. He yanked it open to see a police officer in full riot gear with a very big gun on the porch. When I answered the front door, I saw a lot of cops. There was probably like 30 of them, all with like ARs, guns, and I was really scared because they were all really big and they all looked really scary to me, and I was nervous. The officer pushed past my son and walked into the house. My house is very small, and it's basically just one big open room with an entryway hallway on the bottom floor. So as I'm walking out of my kitchen toward the door, the officer is coming down the hallway, and we meet in the living room. My brain did not process what was happening at first. I put my hands up, and I stared at him in fear. The officer could see all of the lights in my kitchen and the cameras and things. He knew what had happened immediately, and he lowered his gun. So he asked me to come outside away from my kids. The officer had told me that someone texted the 911 emergency line and reported that I had shot my son in the face 
and was holding the rest of my family hostage while spreading gasoline around the house to burn us all alive. That was when I started to cry. It's not the man with the gun, but the line of police cars, the fire trucks, all on my street, all who thought that I was a murderer and an arsonist. Who could say something like that about me? These are my actual first thoughts. Who did I upset so much that they would say something so horrible about me? To say that I need some therapy to discuss my need to be liked is probably an understatement. It was February, and I was shivering and crying on the porch. My husband, he had been working in the living room when this happened. He asked the officer if we could go back inside. I didn't really realize we'd been swatted until Luis said it. I was sitting like right here where we are right now, where you're podcasting. I was, I was in the middle of my work day. I remember Micah opening the bathroom door, and which is right next to the front door, and he must have heard tapping on the door, or he must have seen something, and he opened the door. I think he just turned around and said, Dad, and I looked over to the right. As soon as I saw the officer pushing past him, like I knew right away we got swatted, and I knew what swatting was. I've you know seen it happen to like video game streamers, My oldest and youngest daughters were upstairs. The baby was napping, and I'm pretty sure the teenager was on her phone. But my other two kids were playing in a friend's house across the street. They ran home. My son Merritt wants to tell you what it was like. When I was at my friend's house and I looked over to the side because my friend said there was police over there, I looked over and they were over by my house and I was confused. I thought maybe someone got hurt. So me and my sister ran over to see what happened. We sat down at my kitchen table with the detective, and I gave him the list of the band's screen names from that person who had kept asking if I was pregnant. To that point, it was the only person who had ever been super weird to me on stream. I let the detective know that we'd reported it to the FBI at the time, you know, when we found that one of them was connected to a Pinterest board with all of the photos of murdered people and crime scenes. It's probably been about 15 minutes since I walked away from my stream setup, but the chat was still waiting for me to come back. Luis walked over and told them that we'd been swatted and that he was going to shut off the stream. That's when we saw that a user had posted our address in the chat repeatedly and that he was saying that he was the one who swatted us. The name was unfamiliar and the moderators were quickly deleting his messages and banning the user. The police took all that information. Honest to goodness, I can't remember much of the rest of that day. I was just shivering a lot. I looked at my half-finished dish in the kitchen, and I asked Luis, and we decided that I should just turn the stream back on and finish it. You can't let the terrorists win, right? The whole next few weeks, I just thought about all of the ways that that could have gone wrong. Is it normal for dispatch to call first? What if Micah had walked outside like Andrew Finch? What if they hadn't called? I was holding an 8-inch chef's knife at the time that my phone rang. If they had just come in, they would have found me armed. Would I even still be alive? I never knew when John was or was not in the stream, because he rarely chatted unless it was to use the text-to-speech in a donation. So when he texted me, or maybe he called, I can't remember. Anyway, it was that night, and I told him what had happened, and how the police were involved, and how they would be searching for who texted the report in. John told me that it was best just not to think about it, and he changed the subject. It immediately struck me as weird. This guy, who was so keen to get an emotional response, didn't want to talk about one of the five most traumatic experiences of my life? That was odd. 
Everyone who's ever met me in my town reached out that day, specifically anyone who followed the Noblesville Scanner Facebook page and saw this message regarding the report of a shooting at my address. It got copied into my neighborhood Facebook group too, which is how I found out that there even is a Scanner Facebook page. By the time I saw the post, they'd already updated it to reflect that it was a swatting call. I posted on it to let everyone know that we were okay and that it was just a very cruel prank. My old neighbor, who's a police officer, texted me to make sure that we were okay. Actually, I think he listens to this podcast. Hi, Officer Jason. One day, months later, during the summer, after everything had gone down with John, the detective in my swatting case came back to give me an update. If you've never been a crime victim before, let me tell you that the police don't talk to you much. I honestly forgot that there even was a detective. He was there the first day, and then this one time for the follow-up, but that was it. I actually didn't even recognize the guy. I had been so shaken up that day that I didn't register the face of a single officer. He told me that he'd traced the user to an app that allows you to make anonymous calls and texts, and that the user's data had been traced down by the company that runs that app also. That user had sent some pretty concerning messages to a children's hospital and also a suicide prevention hotline around the same time that he was getting me swatted. However, the detective said, there wasn't much more that he could do because the person had probably used a VPN. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, and in really simple terms, it can hide where your computer really is. You can create a VPN to make your PC appear to be in France, for example, and your IP address will reflect that, rather than your actual location. The detective said there wasn't much hope of finding the actual person, much less getting them to be prosecuted, since this user appeared to be coming from the UK. A lot of you have written in to tell me that you've identified John's Twitch handle, or to guess about John and Brooke's identities. And those of you who think you know what's going on are probably right. But it's worth knowing, I think I knew too. Long before I ever said anything to John about it. But what did I really know? And what was I just making educated guesses about? Next time. This episode of Parasocial Anxiety was written, produced, and edited by me, Katie Ruvalcaba. Cover art by Brandon Ocampo. Theme music by Cybras. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to encourage more content of this kind, please consider donating at paypal.me slash mrsruvy. And please follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at psanxietypod. Feel free to DM with questions.